Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Greetings and welcome to the Italian Group's fourth quarter and year-end results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A brief question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. It is now my pleasure to introduce Kevin Ford, CEO of Italian Group. Thank you, Kevin. You may begin. Thank you, Daryl, and good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning with me is Patrick Houston, our CFO, and we'd like to welcome you to Callion's fourth quarter and fiscal year 2020 conference call. We're trying a new platform for this call, which enables us to present our results with visuals and in the future facilitate online Q&A. So fingers crossed the platform works, but we're pretty confident and look forward to using this format moving forward. So uh, mandatory that I say that the certain information discussed today is forward-looking and subject to important risks and uncertainties. The results predicted in these statements and this call may be material different from actual results. Okay, I'd like to get going and, and basically, um, you know, I'm very pleased to announce another record quarter of revenue for Callion, which we have now accomplished for nine consecutive quarters. The results demonstrate our continued growth and the resilience of Callion's diversified business. Q4's consolidated revenue was a record $123 million, up 35% from the same period last year. This capped a record year for Callion. Revenue ended the year at $432 million, an increase of 26% over the previous year. I'm also glad to report that our efforts to diversify our customer base into new market verticals and commercial customers have taken hold. We saw revenue outside our traditional government revenue grow by 88% over 2019 and now represents 45% of our consolidated revenue. The quarter also marked our 76th consecutive profitable quarter, highlighting that we continue to maintain profitability as we execute our growth plan. The ongoing public health crisis has had some short-term impacts in all of our segments and evolve the way in which they deliver our products and services to our diverse customers. Our teams have raised to the challenge and in short order, and as a result, Callion has remained resilient. Our fourth quarter results reflect our continued focus on delivery of essential services despite challenging environments and continuing our profitable growth. I'd like to spend a moment and provide an update on each of our segments. Our health segment saw tremendous growth in both the fourth quarter and the 2020 fiscal year. Revenue has increased by 41% compared to the previous year. This has been the result of multiple initiatives, the first being our entry in the pharmaceutical services through acquisition of Value Health, which has seen strong early returns. The second being the delivery of services across Canada with our long-term customer base continuing despite the COVID-19 realities. And finally, we were able to win multiple contracts to deliver services in response to COVID-19. This included provisioning for mobile hospitals, 
COVID screening for governments and commercial clients and healthcare services in remote, state, uh, remote locations. The growth and diversification of our health segment has proven successful over the last three years as we expand and leverage our network and demonstrate our ability to manage complex medical projects. Our advanced technology segment also saw tremendous growth in fiscal 2020. Revenue grew 40% over the previous year as a result of continued deployment of a large ground system project and sales of our first wireless product being deployed by a North American Tier 1 carrier. We were also successful in winning multiple new projects during this year and after 2020 with a strong backlog of work. In learning, revenues for the year decreased by 8% due to pauses of in-person training due to COVID in the spring. Our team has adjusted quickly to the new environment and revenue for the fourth quarter was above the same quarter last year. We have also recently completed two acquisitions in the learning space in Europe. These acquisitions expand our service offerings and allow us to further diversify our customer base immediately. Finally, our information technology group has continued its steady growth growing by 6% this year and importantly increased its gross margins by 3%, fueled by the growth in our cyber practice. Our recent acquisition of MSEC will continue will contribute new unique services that will continue our margin expansion. I will now ask Patrick to review the quarterly numbers. Over to you, Patrick. Thank you, Kevin. It's exciting to report another revenue record quarter with quarterly revenue of $123 million, an increase of 17% from our previous record just three months ago. Our ability to deliver on multiple new and ongoing projects during the quarter speaks to our team's ability to deliver despite any challenges. For the year, revenue ended at $432 million, an increase of 26%. Our long-term growth plans include consistent contributions from both organic and acquisitive growth. Organic growth for the year was 21% and acquisitive growth continued at 5%. We also completed three new acquisitions in our fourth quarter, which will contribute additional acquisitive growth in the coming quarters. Gross margins ended the quarter at 18.6%, down from our previous quarter due to some of our new projects in the mobile hospital provisioning having lower gross margins and some increased deployment costs in our advanced technology segment. For the year, gross margins were 20.6%, down slightly from the previous year. Our EBITDA performance highlights our objective of achieving profitable growth. EBITDA in 2020 was up 35% when compared to the previous year, and after adjusting for the adoption of IFRS 16, EBITDA growth was up 23%, roughly in line with our record revenue growth. The company has also had a strong year in terms of new wins and signings. All four segments contributed to $693 million of new business signings during the fiscal year. This leaves our realizable backlog at $1.3 billion and total backlog at $1.5 billion. This is up 15% from where we started this fiscal year. Our capital deployment initiatives have continued in our fourth quarter with three acquisitions and total capital deployed of $18 million. Our total equity position between cash on hand and our unused credit facility at the end of the quarter stood at $84 million. I'll now turn the call back over to Kevin. Thank you, Patrick. I would like to spend a moment to talk about the acquisitions we've completed since our last update. We have been busy executing our M&A strategy and acquiring quality companies that will provide long-term returns for Callion and support our growth objectives. With two acquisitions in learning, 
one in advanced technologies and one in IT recently, combined with the Alio Allface acquisition earlier this year, M&A is playing an important role in each of our segments. Cadence and CTS are both highly regarded training companies located in the UK and Norway. Both companies have strong track record of developing develop, and delivering complex training to NATO directly and NATO member countries. These two companies and their strong management teams will deliver immediate diversification to our learning segment, which has been primarily based in Canada, and will provide access to new markets in which we previously did not participate. MSEC is a leader in providing emission security and technical surveillance countermeasures. With large government and defense customers, their focus on quality and delivery match Callion's DNA. We see synergy with our existing cybersecurity and defense manufacturing business units as we help customers secure their assets. Finally, Talisman, a global leader in the development and manufacturing of precision global navigation satellite system antennas, joined Callion in early September. The team has built a robust portfolio of highly regarded products and have established distribution in every continent. The team is working on many exciting opportunities with OEMs in the automotive, farming, rail, and robotic markets. We welcome these acquisitions to Callion and are excited to grow together in the coming years. Lastly, the traditional markets in which Callion operates are managing through this pandemic. Management expects organic revenue growth and earnings opportunities in most or all of its segments through the successful execution of our growth strategy. However, we must caution that revenues realized are ultimately dependent on the extent and timing of future contract awards, customer utilization of existing contracting vehicles, and any impacts due to COVID-19, specifically government relations, regulations related to social distancing, stay-at-home orders, and broader travel restrictions. Based on currently available information of contract backlog, sales opportunities, and our assessment of the marketplace, we expect to continue our growth, process, growth posture in the coming year. However, the environment that resulted in higher costs in Q4, specifically, specifically in our advanced technology segment, we expect to continue in the first half of this fiscal year. Coming off a record year in the backdrop of a global pandemic, I am happy to see the midpoint of our guidance demonstrating a 10% growth profile for both revenue and EBITDA. My goal since taking over as CEO was a 10% growth minimum posture for Callion, with now three years of over 10% and specifically 26% in fiscal 20. Our guidance supporting a year, another year of over 10% or potentially 10% growth, I am confident that our strategy remains intact, is solid, and that we can continue on our pivot to that innovative global growth company. I would also note that our guidance does not incorporate any additional M&A activity and should we close on any new M&A opportunities, their contributions would be incremental. Our guidance for the fiscal year ending September 30th, 2021, include revenue ranges of 450 million to 490 million, adjusted EBITDA in the range of 38.5 million to 42 million, and adjusted net profit in the range of 25.2 million to 28.3 million. Please see our press release in MBNA for detailed reconciliation of our guidance. So with that, Daryl, I'd like to now open the call to questions. Thank you. We will now be conducting a question and answer session. 
If you would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star two if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star key. One moment, please, while we poll for your question. Our first questions come from the line of Amar Azat with Echelon Partners. Please proceed with your questions. Uh, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my questions and congrats on a, another record quarter. Um, first, can you guys give me more color on the higher costs on the ground system projects? Um, maybe you could remind us, first of all, how far along uh, this project um, is. Then maybe you could walk us through um, the process by which you guys reassess the cost of that project. I'm trying to get a sense of how much cushion or leeway you have on potential uh, further overruns. Yeah, so this is the, the largest ground system project for a North American carrier. Um, so the total project size is about um, $100 million. We've recognized on revenue uh, to date about $75 million of that. So, so we're about three quarters through from a revenue perspective. Um, the costs are mostly relating to, you know, we're, we're into the installation phase now as we roll out the 22 sites across North America. Obviously, they're all in the U.S., so traveling, as you can imagine right now, to get to these sites and install them as efficiently as possible, um, this environment has not been conducive to that. So we did see some increased costs from, a, from an installation deployment uh, perspective. And you know, when we looked at going forward, you know, we're not we're being conservative. We're not expecting any of that to improve in the next six months. Um, you know, given the, the current situation with COVID and the traveling in the U.S., so you know, it was prudent for us to to adjust our cost on that project to reflect that. Um, and we, you know, so far we've installed eight of them, and we have uh, 14 sites to go, which we expect to complete, you know, in fiscal uh, 21 and uh, finish off that project. And as well, you know, bring back the working capital that we have on that project, which right now sits at about uh, $55 million. So as we, you know, complete those installations and, and reverse that, you know, we should get that back. So I think our focus now on this project is to, you know, to complete it, turn it over to the customer. It's been, you know, a complex project for us because we use, you know, this is a new band using our carbon fiber antenna. So I think there's a long-term benefit of this project for us as we, you know, use what we've learned on this one and apply it to new bids that we have. We've got lots of opportunities going with our new carbon fiber antenna. So I think long-term, this is going to be an important project for us in terms of, uh, you know, establishing a new technology and a new differentiating factor for our satellite ground system business unit. Uh, so thanks. That's that's a very good color, and it answers my working capital question. Um, Okay, when I'm thinking about your guidance for next year, um, the implied EBITDA margin of 8.6%, um, I, I assume there's margin impact from that project and perhaps uh, maybe other COVID-related costs. Um, I'm just trying to get a sense of how much impact, um, I guess, is embedded um, in that margin, trying to get a normalized number. Yeah, I think um, there certainly is an impact, and, and we've been concerned on the COVID impact in terms of, you know, assuming that there will be some impact. I think right now to say that there would be none in the next, you know, yeah, 12 months would be um, a bit naive. So I think we're expecting some, which which uh, affected our EBITDA guidance. 
Um, there's likely about a million to a million and a half of impact on the ground system, which otherwise wouldn't have been there, um, you know, minus these factors. So I think, you know, it, it is a bit lower, but, you know, X those factors, I think um, it would be more in line with this year. And, you know, to the extent that we can mitigate those and, and execute during the year, then there's an opportunity for us to, to do better. <clears throat> okay. Okay, thanks. That's that's very helpful. Then maybe you guys can give us um, some high-level color on the pace of bidding activity um, in your advanced technology segments. Um, uh, you've had a strong few quarters, and obviously you're delivering on this large project. Um, how does you know like the future look? Yeah, it's Kevin. So I'll take that. So from my perspective, uh, from from our advanced tech group overall, and specifically ground segments. Um, we actually see quite quite a lot of proposal activity. Uh, we announced earlier this year also the win of another uh, ground system for for a European carrier. Um, so we we actually see activity both in our legacy business in the context of our uh, RF ground system. But as Patrick mentioned, as we now go to market with a carbon fiber antenna that we're manufacturing, uh, we're actually seeing opportunities in those, for those as well. So. Uh, so right now, I would say very busy. If the path there was on this call, who runs that segment, uh, he would say he's pinned in the context of both uh, not only delivery but the uh, strong proposal activity that we're seeing uh, in in our our legacy our business. Um, so yeah, so very very strong, and I think we're going to see uh, good opportunities moving forward, as as there has been, frankly, over the last you know uh, last couple of years. Uh, we don't see any slowdown in that segment at all. Um, okay, maybe one last one for me, and I'll jump back in the queue. Um, uh, Kevin, on the M&A environment, um, how's the pipeline looking? You've executed on a few, but maybe you could speak to us about valuation levels and how they're evolving. I'm assuming um, that you guys are looking at larger targets, which sometimes come with a uh, larger um, embedded multiple. So are you, are you guys still like seeing value out there? Or? Yeah, from my perspective, uh, great question. I, I think the um, we definitely still believe there are value opportunities out there. Uh, I think the key thing is being patient and uh, you know working with our M&A team, Patrick, uh, and our supporting cast, frankly, on M&A to find the, those value opportunities. Uh, we are cognizant that certain elements of the market are you know white hot right now, and, and multiples uh, are, are are reflecting that. Uh, so we're also trying to be, you know, smart, <laughs> smart acquirers in the context of not buying at highs and in the same spirit, looking for good value for us in support of our strategic plan. So absolutely, we see some good opportunities. Uh, we will absolutely continue to focus on M&A as well as our organic growth initiatives. And uh, right now, as I mentioned, one of the one of the unique elements I find of Callion is with our four segments, uh, we have an opportunity to find opportunities in each one of those segments uh, and, and roll through each of our segments as we acquire and integrate. So absolutely, we see opportunities, we see value, but uh, you just got to make sure you're you're looking through the light, right lens in, in today's market for sure. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for your questions. Thank you. Our next question has come from the line of Benoit Torrier of Desjardins Capital Market. Please proceed with your questions. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Patrick. Morning, Benoit. Um, yeah. Could you maybe uh, discuss about the new additions to the team? And here I'm referring to uh, Michelle Bedford uh, as the new chief commercial officer and also Sean Hammer as the new chief technology officer. What, what are, are you expecting from those uh, persons uh, going forward, uh, Kevin? 
Yeah, thanks, Benoit. I think, uh, you know, I'll start with Sean and the CTO role. Um, those that have been with Callion and, and uh, with me as my tenure as CEO, you know, I talk about that pivot to that innovative global growth company. And right now, I believe we're about halfway in that pivot. Um, from my perspective, the CTO was an important addition to our corporate uh, leadership team. As we look at, if you think about our M&A playbook, you know, what I think we need to continue to do is formalize, invest in our innovation playbook. Uh, we go to market today with innovation across each uh, of our segments. Obviously, our advanced technology groups, we have global products. And so we have innovation today. But what I wanted to see was somebody focused on innovation moving forward across each of our segments in support of our three-year growth objectives. And what I mean by that is Sean's role is going to be working with uh, each of the divisional leaders in the context of their strategy, how do we identify, harness, reward, uh, and also go to market with new innovative products or capabilities, and how do we also value and assess innovation in our acquisitions. Uh, so Sean has got a long-term history at Callion here of innovating. He's uh, been uh, responsible for the majority of our products that have gone globally, and already I'm seeing a strong, uh, you know, strong more focus on, on our innovation agenda just by the fact he's, he's come on board. So he will be our innovation leader, our innovation voice, our innovation strategy, uh, you know, uh, leader for the company. As far as Michelle and our CCO role, um, from my viewpoint, for Callion now, again, on that support that innovative global growth company, um, you know, our, our, we have a very strong foundation here of execution. You know, we, have, we, we, are, we deliver across many different segments. We deliver mission-critical elements to each of our customers. So our foundation has always been about excellent customer delivery with a strong wrapper on financial, you know, sound financial management. And you don't have 76 consecutive profitable quarters without that in place. What I want to do with Callion is not ever put cracks in that foundation. That will be our foundation going forward. Uh, that is going to be the, the foundation we will continue to build this company on. But we need to strengthen our marketing and sales acumen in the company. Uh, we've done well over the last couple of years. I think everyone would agree that, that the brand is getting stronger, I think. We have going to market now with the United brand. We've uh, allocated to the four segments, which I think is, always, is easier for both our shareholders and our customers. But what I'm asking Michelle to do is take us to another level with regard to our brand, with regard to our marketing strategies, especially in today's COVID world, which is everything's going primarily digital, and as well be the voice across our sales acumen to make sure that we are the best company in the context of how we execute our sales processes. So she's come on board. Her experience is coming to us from Microsoft. She's run global sales and marketing experience and teams. And again, already I see her coming in with a whole bunch of ideas of how we support that pivot to innovate a global growth company. And so we're happy to have both Sean and Michelle in their new roles. That's, that's great color, Kevin. And maybe when we look at the, guide, the review guidance for fiscal 21, what could drive the uh, guidance from or move the guidance from the low end to the high end? And what would be kind of the breakdown between organic and MNA? Yeah, I think what, what moves, um, you know, if you think last year we started and, you know, we were able to increase guidance twice last year through a combination of, you know, organic momentum as well as, uh, you know, retiring some risk that we had and some, some M&A. So I think it's, it's really, you know, do the same playbook again this year. I think, you know, we've got a good pipeline of M&A. Of M&A. We need to, you know, continue to work on that pipeline and see if we can close some transactions this year. That would be, uh, would help uh, on the financial performance. 
I think we've obviously identified a few risks, both COVID, you know, project execution, obviously the team is working to, to make sure that those don't happen and we can retire them and, and help on the guidance. And I think there's still lots of opportunities, if you think, in our health group. Um, you know, the pace of that group has, has changed drastically from March to now. You know, if you think before RFPs took, you know, several months to, to complete, now we're getting requests um, across Canada to deploy COVID response measures in a matter of days. And, and you know, we, we bid, we win the next day, and we're, we're deploying the following day. So this, the pace has increased tremendously. So I think there's lots of opportunity in health as new initiatives come that we don't even are, are aware of right now. And to the extent we can realize on some of those, I think that would again kind of help us get above the, the, the current guidance. Yeah, Ben Watts, Kevin, I, I think, you know, the other elements that we're seeing is, and to the credit to the team, uh, you know, the over 4,000 people at Callion, you know, we've, we've basically transitioned our company to a mobile delivery organization. You know, we've protected our manufacturing sites, um, but everything else we're doing is in a mobile context. And this year, if you think about our learning business that took a step back, well, we've now basically gone back to full speed on our learning delivery. So that will be some, some, some positive contributions this year, assuming, uh, you know, again, as Patrick said, with COVID, that the, the world just doesn't shut down totally again. Uh, so between the COVID uh, opportunities that it's creating for the company, we will look at the effect of the M&A that we did later in this year, you know, fueling some of the growth this year, for sure, from, a, from an M&A perspective. And then again, we are, we are very busy across each of our segments on new proposal activity. And if you look at last year of over $600 million signed in new business in a COVID backdrop, and the fact we're actually able to increase our backlog despite having a record revenue year, you know, I think it just demonstrates uh, just how strong that sales funnel is and pipeline is. And I'm not expecting that to slow down. And frankly, uh, everything I'm seeing in each of the segments is everyone's very busy on both delivery and new opportunities. Okay, perfect. And last one for me, when we look at advanced technology, obviously you mentioned some color about the uh, impact on margins, on EBITDA margin in fiscal 20, fiscal 21. But when we look back at uh, fiscal 17, 18, 19, you were kind of in the range of 15, 18%. So as you bid on larger contracts, although right now you're building composite, which is higher value, how should we be thinking about uh, EBITDA margins specifically for advanced tech uh, beyond fiscal 21 under a more, uh, let's say, normalized environment? Yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, these large projects um, are always very competitive and, you know, complex. So they, with that brings lower margins. So I think that'll always be part of, of the business going forward to the extent we win those. What we've really tried and spent a ton of time over the last couple of years has been to diversify that segment into multiple different things. We've introduced our own products, which bring higher margins. We've done acquisitions, all of them with margins, you know, in the plus 50%. To again kind of diversify, get into more market verticals where the, the margin opportunity is bigger. The, the sizes are smaller than these large ground systems, but um, you know, the margin profile is much better. So I think as we go continue, that's the path is continue to diversify, have a mix of both maybe lower margin, higher size contracts and, and the mix of higher margin projects. And the combination of that should allow us to continue to increase our gross margin, any but a margin year over year. Yeah, and I, I want to be very clear on this, uh, Ben Watts, Kevin, again. So, you know, this, this what I call the, the large ground system, you know, the headwinds we've been facing, I look at this as not a long-term issue for the company. 
Uh, to Patrick's point, the acquisitions, our product business, if you actually look at our gross margin profile and pull that out, it's going very, very well, and both on both gross and EBITDA margins. So I don't expect this to be now a trend accounting group. The other thing I'm very happy to see is that, in, and you've known us a long time, when we've had these large projects go through the company in the past, the pre, normally the year after, you know, we'd go into a decline mode, which is basically, you know, we weren't able to backfill that revenue. But not only have we been able to backfill it, we're actually guiding that we're going to continue on our double-digit growth posture. So I, I know you've followed the company for a long time. I hope you appreciate that. Backfilling, you know, 70-some-odd million dollars of revenue and actually continuing our growth profile, I think also indicates to me how strong that four-piston engine is running. And I want to be clear to our, our analysts and our shareholders that that margin impact we're seeing is not a long-term uh, expectation of ours that that's going to continue. And as Patrick said, we're doing many things that are going to continue to prove that longer term. We just need to get moving through this project, and we'll be fine. That's great, caller, Kevin. I appreciate. Thank you very much uh, for the time. No problem. Always appreciate the questions, Benoit. Thank you. Our next question has come from the line of Doug Taylor with Canaccord Genuity. Please proceed with your question. Yeah. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Kevin and Patrick. I'd like to pick up on uh, that last point that you were just making. I, I, I think he, the guidance and the growth implied in the guidance is certainly a positive surprise for many of us, particularly as you're lapping or you have to backfill 50 million in advanced technologies from the satellite contract. And then, you know, with the S&C business, it looks like, uh, you know, about 26 million uh, there or, or a little over 20 million. Can you speak to whether you expect those businesses being advanced technologies and and healthcare, you know, you're expecting to grow in those businesses specifically that you had these large contracts, and you know, if not, or if that is expected to taper, where are you seeing the acceleration outside of those businesses to to make up for that? Yeah, great, great question, uh, great question, Doug. I, I think for us, the um, you, you know the the momentum that we're seeing is really coming, uh, you know, in all four segments. From advanced tech, uh, you know, yes, we have that large ground system project, but as I mentioned earlier, you know, we've won another ground system implementation. We have very strong delivery, uh, sorry, proposal activity. Um, so we have that. We don't expect that slowing down. Um, we've got our new products that we're going to market with. Uh, we've got now the Talisman acquisition, which takes us our whole antenna line into a whole different sphere. Uh, and, and, and a just you know a global business that's going to make us relevant in things like autonomous vehicles and precision agriculture and drone technology. So for us right now, we're excited because our legacy business in advanced technology continues to go well, and the ancillary products we've been building as well as the acquisitions that we've been layering in is extending our product business and our product capabilities with higher margins and also a global marketplace. So we expect lots of opportunities in, in, in advanced technology to continue across multiple areas, including even our, our core manufacturing and the defense business. In healthcare, you know, the, um, as I've said before, the, our asset, we have the, one of the largest, if not the largest national network of medical practitioners in Canada built through our defense contract. 32 bases, so over 60 different, 60, 70 different categories of healthcare practitioners. And we're getting now known as the company to come to wherever it may be in Canada to support healthcare requirements. Uh, we have now people in Nunavut. We have people right across the country. We've just worked with the province of Alberta on COVID opportunities. So I believe just the organic growth on the pull from that network is going to continue to be significant, especially in the COVID backdrop. 
And then you add in the alio all-phase capability of deploying that work network in pharmaceutical, the industry, both in the context of trials and patient support programs. And then you bring in some of the software we brought in from the alio all-phase acquisition. This home application is called Health Outcomes Managed Everywhere. We're going to start introducing more technology into our healthcare business. So core business will be strong, more technology enablement, and I think that's going to be, again, positive uh, support. Our IT business quickly is, is all about our cyber business right now, as well as our legacy, uh, Sander Muzak, uh, that organization from not only cyber, but to cloud migration. Uh, we see a lot of opportunities there and continue to focus on cyber. Obviously, everyone going virtual, we're seeing lots of opportunities, specifically with our federal government, uh, on cyber, large cyber opportunities. And as I mentioned with learning, two thrusts there. One is getting defense back to their learning pace prior to this COVID. And then secondly, that whole European exposure now in, for our learning business, coming out of the blocks, Doug, it's going very well. You know, we are seeing uh, we're ahead of our pace that we would thought we'd be there on new opportunities and training opportunities for both not only NATO now, but also other military customers in that area. So I think all of those elements is why I'm still very positive on the company's trajectory here, and I believe all segments have an opportunity to grow. So uh, let me... I'll drill down on a couple points you made there. I mean, the specifically in the learning segment, I mean, obviously challenging by challenged by the pandemic, and so I, I guess I'm surprised that you mentioned that you're back up to full speed there, given I think a lot of that business does you know is kind of in person. So I I just like to understand the degree to which you've been able to shift that to remote delivery. And just so I mean, it'll help me assess the risks and opportunities uh, around that business. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate the question. Um, so when you think about a lot of our, if you think about our classroom-based training and things that we would do in, in a classroom-based, a lot of that work now, both in the development of the training material and, and the actual delivery of the, of, of the training or the learning exercises have been basically, we're, we're able to now work with our customers to do those uh, virtually, uh, and in some cases in person where it makes sense to do so. So uh, while we saw an initially, you know, obviously a slowdown as everyone had tried to re reset how we were going to deliver learning, we think now we have a, an operational capability to work with our customer and predominantly the military here to keep those courses going uh, in, in, in a virtual setting. So that's number one. Number two on the exercises, yeah, I think you can appreciate that um, there's only a certain amount of time that our military, men and women in the military, uh, you know, their, their job is to be ready. And to, to be ready, they need to train. And so you can only slow down learning and training for a period of time. And at some point, you just need to get on with it. And I believe our customers getting on with it and to their credit and showing the uh, absolutely dedication of our military to, to be ready. So we believe just the, just, the, just, just the natural pace of military training has to get back at it. Um, because what you can't do is not be ready. Uh, you know, their job is to be ready. So I think what we're going to see is a balance of that virtual, that in-person where it makes sense to do so with protocols. And could it, could it face headwinds again in, on the COVID side? It could. And we've factored that mindset into some of our guidance coming out of the blocks here that let's assume that we will see some headwinds, but right now uh, we're basically back to full, full speed. And then the business JV uh, with SNC and the mobile hospital. I mean, are you factoring in any repeat of that type of work into your guidance, or is your guidance assuming that you know the, the current contract there uh, gets completed and is is not uh, replaced with the uh, same sort of work this year? 
Yeah, right now we haven't built in you know additional work there. Obviously, I think uh, there is a big opportunity to develop a new capability and relationships. So to the extent that you know these hospitals do get deployed, there could be additional demand, but we haven't built any of that because right now we don't have the visibility to it. Um, but we're certainly ready and 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 willing to jump in if uh, the situation uh, you know needs it. And I think Doug as well for us, you know, and as Patrick said earlier. We're seeing on that healthcare side, just that time from, you know, high Cali into close of sale is is has been expedited in so many fronts here, especially on, on some of our government businesses, record setting in some ways. And it's in support specifically the COVID response. Um, the question I've got for our team is what happens with vaccinations? You know, what happens with more COVID screening? What happens with those elements? So, um, so we haven't really factored any of that in because, as Patrick said, it, it, it's really not a normal government sales cycle where we see this thing coming for a year or two. We're literally getting calls where two weeks later we're deploying. Um, so we really haven't factored that into our guidance because, to be fair, you know, we just don't want to overinflate guidance until we actually are clear on what exactly is going to happen in the second wave or potentially third wave. Um, but we do definitely see opportunities, whether it's in mobile respiratory hospitals, whether it's in COVID screening, you know, this whole vaccination program that's going to have to kick in, assuming there's a vaccine. So we still believe there's good opportunities, but really has not been factored heavily into our guidance. Okay, one last question for me, just a clarification. Patrick, I think you said uh, an additional million uh, to million and a half impact from COVID uh, in the fiscal year 21 uh, guidance. Uh, is that, you know, in addition to a like impact uh, versus 2020 and it being, you know, almost 4 million in gross margin impact? Uh, so are we talking about an increased impact from COVID in the fiscal year 21 guidance versus last year or, or slightly decreased? Um, I think a million to a million and a half is, is specifically on the ground system project in terms of kind of EBITDA hit for, for the increased cost. Um, that's really just for that project. I think from a, from a guidance, what we've done is, you know, Assume that there will be some some short-term kind of pauses in, in learning again, um, but not to the same extent. As to Kevin's earlier point, I think we're we're more prepared and and have a, a better construct than we did come you know March earlier this year. Um, so right now, you know, we we factored in a small small amount there, and then up to the million to million and a half on the ground system cost. <clears throat> okay, I'll pass the line. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks Doug. Thank you. Our next question has come from the line of Deepak Kishal with Stiegel. Please proceed with your question. Oh, hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, Kevin, uh, Patrick, a couple of questions there on visibility beyond 2021 as some of these big projects roll off. Kevin, I just wanted to know, or maybe for both of you guys, how do you guys manage this? Like, you, you know, you have a big mix of long-term projects. Uh, you're bidding on big long-term projects. What are the kind of metrics you look at in terms of pipeline, pipeline coverage, just to track how you manage those uh, project roll-offs and, and visibility over the longer term? Yeah, hi, David. Uh, thanks for the question. So, so from our, um, you know, from a company perspective, you know, we have a very rigorous three-year planning cycle as well as a one-year business plan cycle that I review with the board. Uh, in the context of, you know, growth opportunities, uh, you know, what's organic, what's M&A, the whole kit. So number one, you know, we really have a disciplined approach to looking at, looking ahead here, if I can say it that way, as well as, the, you know, the investment that's required to, to generate the growth that we're, that we're, we're trying to achieve in our, either our business or a three-year strategic plan. 
Uh, number two is with the backlog, to your point, you know, every year we can go into the backlog, and I'm looking at Patrick, you know, we're, we, it's not 60, 70% of our business at, at a minimum is likely in backlog, even in a growth profile. And as we add more long-term contracts or new projects, so uh, then the focus is what's our coverage on that delta to our budget. And we have implemented now CRM tools in the company to allow us to track sales funnel and then coverage. And I always like to see three to four times coverage on basically the targets we've set for the segment. So uh, that's part of that evolution of our sales culture here as well as our sales processes and have more visibility so that when I'm sitting and talking to my shareholders or to our analysts, when I look at guidance that I have some comfort level that you know the words and the, and the ranges that we're doing are achievable and, uh, and that basically it's based on fact. So a lot of rigor in this company, believe me on, and how we look at that for the guidance, the forecast, and, and sales coverage. And I think we continue to evolve and get better, and that's an area we're going to ask Michelle to continue to work with us on, on just looking ahead, as you said, you know, two, three years out on what that uh, opportunity looks like. Got it. And so, I, look, I'm not a math whiz here, but, you know, if you're, if you're posturing for 10% growth, um, how fast is your pipeline growing? I, obviously faster than that, but what are you guys seeing in particular? Yeah, I mean, I think where the pipeline is really growing is as we've gotten into more market verticals, we have more um, you know, white space to go after, right? So we're into GNSS antennas, emission securities, uh, European training, which you know, 12 months ago were not in our pipeline at all because we had no assets or path into that, right? So as we keep doing some of these acquisitions and, and expansions, we have you know, new opportunity. Now we start to address that, bring it to the pipeline, and then start to add it. So that's really, you know, one of the reasons we're doing this M&A is to, you know, allow us to diversify our customers. I think you saw that this year where, you know, our government revenue as a share of, uh, reduced as we add more and more new customers. And I think then it's it's expanding that customer as well as looking for similar customers to, to sell our products. <clears throat> okay, got it. And then, and then when I think of M&A, you, you've done four this year, uh, mm. three in recent order. Um, obviously, you have a lot of financial capacity. Can you talk about your capacity to integrate here? Like, is this fully decentralized? I mean, how many how many transactions can you do per year, and what's kind of your capacity here? Yeah, no, a great, a great question. I think for for us, as you can imagine, when you look at the size of some of those transactions, some were smaller. Um, when you think about the transactions this year, some were larger. Uh, so obviously, the answer to that question depends on the size of the of the um, of the acquisition as well as as we move through each of our segments, what's the capacity within the segment uh, to, to integrate? So if you think about the four you know, that we've done recently, they've all been in, each segment has basically done an acquisition this year. Advanced technologies with the talisman piece, learning we have CTS and, and the uh, Cadence uh, recently in the UK, uh, IT at MSEC, and then Health had our Alio All Phase acquisition in January. So the beauty of our model is that you can actually acquire in one segment and then move on to integration for that segment and then move on in each of the other segments into opportunities and literally roll through our segments as, as we do that. Uh, you know, it won't be long that, uh, you know, uh, another month from now, it'll be a year that we've had alio all phase in the company. Um, so that's number one. Number two is the way we structure our, our, our acquisitions is we have a two-year, uh, we like to normally put in a two-year earnout um, structure that facilitates us to ensure the company keeps um, not only motivated but rewarded on the context of continued growth uh, as per projections when we acquire them. We're finding that a best practice because it gives us that two-year window to basically work with them on an integration plan in our M&A playbook. In some cases, we will integrate the back office right away. In others, we will let that run for a period of time and align our capacities to integrate with the ability to integrate what uh, their, their back office capabilities. So 
So for us right now, the model is we have the playbook, we have the integration plan, we have an integration plan for each acquisition, we have the two-year earnout period, that two-year period to integrate. And from a capacity perspective right now, even though we've done four or five, I still believe we do have capacity. And when you look at our OPEX increases in GNA and other elements, a lot of that is injecting new capacity into our company to deal with both organic and acquisitive growth in support of our growth uh, trajectory. So I think right now we still have capacity and, uh, and we assess that uh, with, uh, with both my corporate team and our board of directors. And uh, so it's a great discussion, but right now I do believe we have capacity and uh, I think we've continued to do well with the companies that we've acquired this year on all of them coming out of the gates very quickly on, uh, on their growth trajectory, which, is, which has been fantastic. Got it. And, and thank you for that. That's very helpful. And my last question, if I may, um, just r related to some of the goings on in, in the world today. You, you know, you mentioned opportunities with the COVID vaccine and, you know, as COVID goes through its process. I'm just wondering what kind of opportunities you might see with the change in, in the U.S. government. You know, particularly you're working on some NATO, um, expanding with NATO uh, countries in Europe. Any any kind of read through there? Any kind of read through in general on a on a change in administration in the U.S. for your business? Yeah, it's interesting. I think you know we'll we'll see how this plays out. Obviously, in January we'll see the the change of administration um, and, and and see some of the policy frameworks that are put in place. Uh, from my viewpoint, as I, I think I've mentioned in the past, you know, frustrating for me, you know, as somebody who's been on this earth over 50 years, you know, I've talked about in the past, I've, I've lived long enough to see walls be torn down, um, and now we see walls being built again, and I'm not talking physical walls, whether these are trade tariffs, we see Brexit, we see everything going on. So the one thing I will say that even if the current administration, we've had business in the U.S., you know, our largest ground project in the U.S., uh, so we still see U.S. definitely as the target customer, um, and we will see, you know, with the new administration if there's opportunities to uh, look at our presence in the U.S., but we want to do so. Uh, those at Noel County know we had a presence in the U.S. years ago in Washington on the military side and decided to sell that element of our business. Uh, with uh, It just doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense for us at that time uh, just because of the, of the foreign owned controlled interest rules and the whole, whole element. So we have some experience there. So we will look at the U.S. as a market. We expect, I'm hoping, that not just in the U.S., but the world uh, continues to work on its posture on not just the physical walls, but the, um, but the, uh, you know, these, trade, these trade walls that have been built up. And, and obviously we're watching Brexit as well. Uh, you know, Canada, Europe signed a European, uh, an updated European trade agreement recently. We're obviously looking at that. Uh, we continue to invest in the Europe market in the short-term DPAC. We see that as a great extension for us for a whole bunch of reasons. So right now, focus will be obviously domestically. We're definitely looking at that European market, and we will uh, we'll assess the U.S. market moving forward as we let the new administration come in and see the policy framework they're going to put in with regard to trade and uh, foreign-controlled interests. Okay, great. Uh, that's great. Uh, thank you again for the additional color guys, and I appreciate taking my question. Thanks, Deepak. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Faraz Ahmad with Laurentian Bank Security. Please proceed with your question. Hey, good morning. Um, I was hoping we could just dig into the uh, IT segment a little bit. Um, it's good to see you guys making the investments in, in people in that segment. Uh, I was just curious, is that expected to continue into next year? Um, and then secondly, uh, what's your timeline on starting to get some returns on those investments of people? Yeah, hi, Fred. Um, yeah, I think, you know, like I, we said before, you know, historically, 
about you know 80 to 90 percent of our revenue in IT has been in the Ottawa region, right? So so we've built up quite a strong presence there. But as, as part of our kind of growth strategy was to try to get out of Ottawa and and just address new geographical regions. So your point, you know, we've added salespeople in Toronto. We're seeing that as a market that you know we want to try to make some headway here in the next. 12 months, I think, uh, you know, we hired those people midway through the year. So I think we're hoping that they start to, to see some contributions from them in this fiscal year. Um, and we've got, you know, a few different larger projects in Toronto that we're bidding on. Um, so I think, you know, that's certainly an area where we want to focus in on and, and try to, you know, get a foothold there and, and, you know, make our brand recognizable to that kind of small, medium-sized business, as well as, you know, various kind of uh, provincial and um, government entities. <clears throat> Yeah, for us, it's Kevin, and I think you know we have we are recognizing one of the reasons I wanted CCO is and, and IT is a great example. Um, you know, our brand in, in the in the Toronto region is still needs a lot of work with regard to uh, our segments, to be honest. And we will focus on that. And we've made investment uh, to your question. You know, we've made investment in sales headcount in Toronto, to Patrick's point. Um, so that takes time. When you when you when you're establishing a brand, it takes time. I expect. You know, I want to reiterate my expectations for each one of my segment leaders is I want a minimum 10% growth profile. So, um, you know, Sandra, who runs that segment, knows that, takes that to heart. Uh, she's diversifying her business with cyber. She continues to diversify her geography. And I'm expecting that segment to get up to that minimum level, and I'm confident the team will do so. Okay, that's great color. And I'm just curious, I mean, I'm sure you've looked at, you know, buying versus building for that segment. Um, is the biggest detriment to buying the, the acquisition multiples in that space? Because I, I imagine they're quite, they're quite lofty um, given the, given the uh, interest in the space. Yeah, what we're seeing is depending on where the IT company lives, if I can say it that way, clearly any kind of health IT assets right now uh, with the digital health or any, like we're seeing, you know, obviously, and I know you've, you folks know this, is we're seeing incredible expansions on multiple expectations there. So uh, we just got to be careful on those type of things. In our cyber business as well, we do think there's opportunities for value uh, in cyber. Uh, you know, we've seen some recent uh, transactions and, um, you know, the, the beauty of our trading multiple now and where we've been, you know, we think we can go after more um, targeted uh, companies that have the margin profile and the growth profile that we're looking for and still be accretive coming out of the block. So that's giving us uh, a bit of confidence and buying power, I think, there. Um, so we will, we will look at that. Definitely the focus for us is going to be on that cyber, uh, cyber piece. Uh, also looking at managed services capabilities in cyber, uh, continue to expand our product portfolio, product resale capability, and geographic presence, to Patrick's points earlier. So uh, we, we're fishing in a very small lake. We know exactly what we're fishing for. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm confident if we uh, just stay patient, continue to look for the right company that would like to be acquired by a company like Callion because of the cultural alignment um, then I think we will be successful, but we will make sure that when we do that, that we're confident that long-term that company is going to help us uh, achieve our growth objectives. Okay, that's great, caller. Thank you. Uh, and just uh, my second question is just on um, the ag tech business. Uh, you mentioned that the fuel lock product saw some weakness in the quarter. Um, I was just curious, uh, was that the same case for the BinSense product as well? Yeah, we did see a bit of a slowdown um, in the fall. I think what we what we saw was distributors of ours who generally held a, a certain level of inventory kind of reduce their inventory as part of their kind of COVID uh, adjustments. Um, so that did slow down kind of our, our, our second wave of orders, which usually comes in the late summer. Um, so I think it did result in a bit of a slowdown this year, but I think going into next year, 
um, might actually provide us a bit of momentum because um, you know the inventory levels are are basically nothing now, and um, to the extent next year is a good year, they should build that up, and, and hopefully we see it come back to us next year. <clears throat> okay, and I guess in your in your guidance is is a normal year kind of baked in. Yeah, I think we've baked in a normal year again, kind of from a conservative standpoint. But um, you know, I think that should certainly give us, uh, hopefully, a good start to the year. And then if we can finish with the second wave of uh, you know strong orders, um, we can likely overachieve. Okay, great. And then just two quick housekeeping ones for me in terms of capex for uh, 2021. Um, should we expect something similar to this year? Yeah, I think so from a CapEx. Um, you know, we finished the, the R&D kind of capitalization on carbon fiber. So that's, you know, we had some in the first quarter. So that, that should be, uh, you know, lower this year. And in the other CapEx, I would expect it to uh, this year. Okay, great. And then just lastly, um, uh, for the EBITDA outlook, I was just curious, is that post-IFRS 16? Yes, it is. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I would like to hand the call back over to Kevin for any closing comments. Okay. Uh, thank you, Daryl. Um, you know, again, great questions, everybody. I uh, really appreciate the, uh, the, the, the dialogue today with regard to the business. I hope you're sensing my absolute positivity in a COVID backdrop of not only our results for fiscal 2020, but of our growth prospects moving forward. You know, three years ago, we embarked on a journey in this team, and I challenged the team three years ago in our strategy to be a double-digit growth company consistently and maintaining our profitable growth posture. As we've seen, as I've mentioned earlier, you know, 10, 11, 12, now over 20% growth is, doesn't happen because Kevin Ford says it should happen. It happens because we have amazing people at this company, and I want to end on that. I want to thank those amazing people for rising to the challenge of COVID-19, pivoting our company to mobile, completing four acquisitions, growing the company by over 20%, growing our EBITDA by over 20%, signing over $600 million in business, and more importantly, using our, having our core purpose of helping the world communicate innovate, lead healthy lives, and stay safe. I would book a parade for this company right now if I could, but I can't. And I'm trying hard to thank them, and I want to thank all of our shareholders for the support and interest as we've gone through this, but this is one proud CEO at the end of this phone call today. I appreciate the comments today and the concerns on EBITDA and those numbers, and I totally get it as a publicly traded company. But you have to understand the achievement this company just made was spectacular, and the effort it took of all those 4,000 people to make it happen is something I'm extremely proud of. And I am confident that any headwinds we are facing going forward, we will knock those down, and we will continue on the posture that we've set out three years ago with our new three-year strategy. So with that, any other comments or questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. We look forward to talking to you in three months and seeing what craziness this world brings and how we've managed through it, because I'm confident we will manage through it. So thank you again for your time. And with that, Daryl, we can end the call. Thank you. On behalf of the Callion Group, thank you for your participation. This concludes today's teleconference. You may disconnect your lines at this time.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.